My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Postcard Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. And today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. It is Friday, July 22nd at... 3 40 p.m and folks i'm checked out i'm going on <laughs> vacation tomorrow morning checking out for a week work and podcasting is the last thing on my mind but lucky me is the fact that san diego comic-con started yesterday so there's been tons of news this week there was also the release of the gray man which kate has seen i've not seen there's the release of nope which we have both seen Cade, like a truly committed podcast co-host <laughs> and a borderline psycho. Yeah. <laughs> went to see a 9.30 a.m. local time showing of Nope. I have never been in a theater that early in my Neither life. Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk some Nope. We'll talk about some updates from um, San Diego Comic-Con. Then we're also going to draft the best sci-fi movies of the 21st century. And finally, I am interviewing Chris Williams, the director of hit animated films such as The Sea Beast, Moana, and Big Hero 6. Uh, so pack show, because as I said, I'm going away, so we probably won't, won't have an episode next week, but we'll keep you posted. Cade, let's start with you, since you have been lucky enough. See, they didn't show it in my screening, which dope screening. I went to an Almo Draft House, which uh, nice. if you've not been or if you've heard of them or if you have one of these full service theaters near you, I would highly suggest going Great time, but they didn't show the teaser that you got to see, which was Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which I think is going to be one of the biggest films of next year. I think it's Mm -hmm. Nolan's first, best, and perhaps only shot at true Oscar glory. Like, I don't know how he's done Dunkirk, and he didn't get much love for that. He's doing this. Like, where do you go from the movie about the nuke? You know what I mean? (laughs) He's got to really swing a shot here. So you got to see the teaser so why don't you tell us what you saw and how it seemed yeah so it's it's about a minute long and as far as i understand it's in imax screenings like it was for tenant i don't know if you remember when they did that little teaser um they had like a prologue later but they had like a one minute teaser for tenant as well but um it's a lot of narration from various people in the movie i think i heard emily blunt i think i heard robert Downey jr and maybe one or two others and it's people just being like this Oppenheimer guy's fucking nuts and he is going to ruin the world. <laughs> and uh, a lot of heavy handed lines, like he's given you us think the power they're portraying to him as a villain. Yeah. Like they're going pretty hardcore and being like, or at least like this guy did something that is irreversible. You know, one of the lines is like, he's given us the power to destroy ourselves and, how can a man be so smart and be so blind? And so it's very heavy handed and it appears to be black and white. No chance. Is, I read that they announced that it isn't black and white. Unless Universal really bent over yeah. for Nolan. And I'm talking <laughs> when they were trying to pitch him back in that, what was that, late 2020, where, yeah, where Nolan them. came out. I'm still mad about this, by the way, because not only was it, <laughs> ignorant then but he's since been proven way wrong when he was like hbo max is by far the worst streaming service i'm leaving you warner bros so back when he was trying to find a new home that is the only way that i could imagine a studio letting not only a blockbuster film get away with being in black and white which 
is even somewhat annoying when it's art house films. Gotta yeah. be honest. But a movie with this cast, dude, come mm-hmm. on. I, I, it's it's very interesting. And like I said, I read that apparently that was what they announced when they started filming the movie. Like it's a 70 millimeter IMAX black and white movie. And that's but there are a lot of shots in the trailer of very, very vibrant orange fire. And I imagine if they decide to go this route, it's a stylistic thing where they go, movies in black and white, but when you see the atom bomb go off, big color, right? I was taking some cues from Thor, Love and Thunder, you're sure. saying. Yeah, I guess so. Christopher Nolan, big MCU guy. <laughs> big Taika Waititi follower. Yeah. Um, so that's what I imagine. That would make me very annoyed. Got to be honest with you. It's... Nolan, after shoving Tenet down my brain hole, if he falls <laughs> a fucking black and white move, dude, I'm going to be pissed. I got to be frank with you, dude. I don't want to see that shit at it's, all. It's it's very interesting stylistically. I would imagine maybe they'll do kind of like, because you know he, how he does his movies on film sometimes, but those are very limited runs. You know, very few theaters actually do that. Maybe you only get the black and white version if you go see it on 70 millimeter film. Um, but besides that, uh, the movie looks cool. It looks scary in a sense where it's like this Oppenheimer guy he's up to some shit (laughs) yeah uh, I I like the angle they're hitting it at interesting I I I was always curious like what is the what is the non-objective scientific angle you take right Mm -hmm. because this is sure fantastic scientific achievement but also horrifyingly inhumane yeah so like what is the tone you take with this person who, like, famous line, which people often mischaracterize that he came up with. He did I not. Say, it's yeah. from some sort of, I think, Indian text or Buddhist text, something ancient-er than this fucking guy. Uh, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. So I was wondering if it was like they were going to take a regretful tone, mm-hmm. like he realizes what he's done once it's too late. But from what you're saying, it's like, nah, they're painting him as the bad guy. It's entirely possible they do go that route. I don't think you hear Oppenheimer's voice in the trailer, uh, but there's only like two shots of him. Like there's like three shots of things from the actual movie in the trailer. And one's a fedora sitting on a table. The other is him picking it up and putting it on his head. And then the third one is a countdown rushing to zero. Well, it says the world is going to change. In yeah, And it's yeah. him walking down a corridor while a bunch of people are taking pictures of him. And he looks, Killian Murphy has a look that's like, Guy's kind of a menace. Like, Absolutely. you don't want to be around Very him, scary looking guy. And totally. I think that's why they cast him. Now that I see this trailer, it's like, he's a villain. And I think that's a cool... And, and you know, I think it's a relevant movie now more than ever. Uh, and I think... Uh, I, I want to see the full trailer because I think there's a lot of interesting things at play here. And I think Christopher Nolan um, is the right guy to handle something. Like so this. it's a it's a universal film. I should yeah. look up what they have coming up because I would bet they they would drop it like holiday season time. Well, yeah. Usually, what happens? Uh, I don't know if you saw Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker in IMAX, but they had a the opening scene of Tenet played before that, like they did at the Dark Knight Rises uh, plane sequence with Mission uh-huh. Impossible. Uh-huh. Um, so you got to see that whole opera house sequence, like. Well, that would have been almost a year before the movie even came out. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine if there's something coming out with Universal, or I guess you could just do any big movie because Star Wars was a Disney movie. Um, they might have something um, like a little prologue. 
I wonder, and then I guess my last point is it's like, you know, you imagine Nolan wants this to be his sort of award season play, but like July release date. Yeah. So maybe Universal or him. I mean, I know, I, I guess he's a summer movie guy. I don't mm-hmm. remember when Dunkirk came out, but I think it was July. Yes. Oh, right. So I, I think this past week, in fact. So, yeah, he generally releases around the same weekend every time he dro- yep. drops a film. So, I don't know. Definitely hyped. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Another big trailer that dropped this week was Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I don't really have many big thoughts. I don't know anything about Dungeons & Dragons other than the, my friends play it. The reaction <laughs> seems to be mixed wherein one side being like, why do we need this? This looks dumb. And then the other side being like, well, these guys made Game Night, and that's a low-key awesome movie. Yeah. So maybe we should give them a chance. My thought watching it was, oh, some exec was like, hey, why don't we just MCUify Game of Thrones? (laughs) And that is exactly what this is. And like as an idea, I could see why a studio especially one like Paramount, which needs, which is, you know, they've done well with Top Gun, but generally in terms of franchises, they're not up to snuff with Warner Bros or Disney or those guys. So I could see the thinking there. Mm -hmm. Chris Pine is probably the best Chris. The cast Mm -hmm. is eclectic and interesting. They said that they tried to use as many physical sets as possible. So that's all interesting to me. And tonally, it makes sense. So, like, while this trailer doesn't have me like, oh, shit, I was totally wrong. I can't wait. I feel better about it than I did before I'd seen it. Because like, yeah. I, I understand what they're going for. Yeah, it seems like they're probably going to please the fans. Like, I had several people who I don't talk to regularly, like, message me and be like, what's what what is this Dungeons and Dragons thing Gabe are you gonna see this early I'm like I don't see movies early typically and I don't know much about it but well, I, I guess because like, they think it's gaming yeah I I I just know I have some big Dungeons and Dragons friends and they are like all over this now so it seems like it'll appeal to those people but there I, I also heard some hesitation of like this looks cool but I know people fuck these kinds of things up yeah so um caution but optimistic at the same time right all right let's move on to some quick hitters before we discuss no father-son duo kurt and wyatt russell to star in the godzilla series at apple a sequel to mortal Kombat is officially in the works with director simon mccoyd the hell of a name quaid quaid <laughs> uh set to return marvel studios reboot of the x-men will reportedly be titled the mutants Henry Cavill rumored to appear at san diego comic-con on saturday to quote talk up more superman Rolling Stone dropped a wild report that Zack Snyder was more involved in the release of the Snyder Cut campaign than previously believed. <laughs> this makes total sense to me. This whole this whole story made Definitely. total sense to me. With one, with some sources even implying that Zack helped fund it because they had like flyovers and expensive billboards, and they were like, "You never saw a GoFundMe." You never yeah. Where did this money come from? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then one quote that a source gave was, "Zach was like a Lex Luthor wreaking havoc." Now, real quick, since he's been on the show twice, our only two-time guests, massive directors. <laughs> um, the Snyder Cut movement became problematic. I don't know if that's his fault. Like, it's sort of sure. like in uh, the, the Dark Knight where Dent is like, I don't want the dog. I want let them out of the cage. Yeah. 
the Snyder Cut movement is the dog. He can't control it once he's out of the cage. I am with him being smart enough and foresight enough to weaponize social media mm-hmm. against, you know, it's not like he did this to some poor old mom and pop. This yeah. is Time Warner, Warner we're Brothers. talking about here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't give a fuck about these people. You know, death threats and all that stuff aside. Terrible, terrible. Don't want that. But, like, him weaponizing social media in such a smart way to get his vision made and come to life, I, I, I gotta respect that. It's diabolical yeah. shit, but I respect it. Yeah, I'm sure a little bit of it is exaggerated to some level, like a Lex Luthor wreaking havoc. That's... I don't know, uh, but it's, I, I believe the, the crux of it. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a smart move. Again, don't go send death threats. Don't harass people. Target at the studio, right. not the people at the studio. Yeah. That is the general right. message I, I think should be stressed, but you know, I can't blame him. They, he got fucked over pretty hard. You know, yeah, I think they, worked had it coming so yeah, fair, fair <laughs> enough all right let's uh okay let's chat nope sure so this movie has an 86 ish percent on rotten tomatoes which i actually believe is the lowest of peel's career so far i believe so yeah um i had the biggest hype for this one yet because get out i mean i remember get out when it came out it was just like a slow drum beat for like a month like mm-hmm. oh just see get out you're about get out and it got louder and louder and louder and then by week four it was just like a fucking monster and then of course us came with a lot of hype and i enjoyed us but i didn't think it was as good as get out but with nope you've got academy award winner newly minted academy <laughs> award winner daniel kaluuya starring because these two have teamed up for a while they've grown mm-hmm. up together pretty much in a the business so you've got him at the center you've got steven young i don't know if you knew that that role was actually supposed to be played by jesse plemons but i think he he chose killers of the flower moon instead no offense understandably good pick yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh, especially since he's the lead of that like leo is the supporting character yeah wild and then kiki palmer who i fell in love with granted she was basically playing herself Mm -hmm. but man what a scene stealer combine that with the scope the Spielbergian scope of it, the genre, sci-fi is my fucking bag. Yeah. And I had more anticipation for this Jordan Peele film than any of his first two. And something yes. that I talk about on this show a lot is like self-confirmation bias, loving something because you want to love it, hating mm-hmm. something because you want to hate it, or allowing your expectations to sort of create a, a framework, a guardrail of how you feel about what you're going to see, right? Like you could imagine people going into Endgame without even seeing it, sight unseen, and be like, this is the best movie of all time. Like, Absolutely. All right, all right. Infinity War is better. So let's calm down. <laughs> you know I, I mean? completely like, agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so despite going into this with very high hopes, and you pointed out in your tweet, and I did in mine, on a technical level, cinematography, score, set design, costuming, direction, acting, all that shit on point. But I generally found myself really let down by the pacing. And that's something that you verbalized very well in terms of the mystery and tension over, quote, what's in the sky. And that's a much better summation of what my problem was with it. Like, was I entertained by sort of the goofiness of them setting up the cameras and having the idea to try to catch it on tape and sell it. And did I think all that stuff was smart? Absolutely. 
But because the monster is already revealed in the trailer, like there's a famous thing that the monsters are scarier when they're yep. off screen, right? It's like Jaws 101. Yep. As you so aptly pointed out, that veil was lifted in the trailers. Mm-hmm. So because first poster they, ever released has the UFO front right. and center. So because they spent so long just sort of doing the, oh, it's out there, mm-hmm. we're setting up for it, I felt very bored not i don't want to say very bored because it's so well made but the way that i put it in a tweet was if m night Shyamalan makes this film i think it's a disaster i think because i don't think the story is very strong at all what makes it good is jordan peele being a master of his craft so ultimately it's a factor of like what do you look for in a film right to me this is a storytelling art that's the main pillar that i'm there for you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so when you're struggling in that regard while I'm able to appreciate other aspects of filmmaking, the crater left by a story that doesn't hook me in and draw me in and keep me going is hard for me to overcome. So walking out, my general feeling was let down. The story also doesn't evolve really. Like there is a twist somewhere along the way that kind of tells you what is this? Why is it happening? Is like, okay, but it doesn't really change a whole lot. Like the same thing that we were worried about from the beginning remains. And so the story is constantly hitting the same note and just trying to work its way around that for almost two and a half hours. So it's a pretty long movie, you know? Um, And so the pacing is, is frustrating because again, you go into this movie knowing what it is. If they had advertised this movie in a way, it's like, what's happening? We don't know. Is it a ghost movie? Is it a zombie movie? We don't know. But they they set up that this is a alien movie and the fact that it doesn't advance that much further is a little frustrating and uh i i just kind of want a little more from that angle i think so why don't you speak on what you enjoyed the most then i think what it does do with the actual ufo and stuff brilliant conceit to such the yes. extent where it's like how has no one thought of this sooner? Exactly. I, I, I think the, the stuff that it's doing and how it uses it and uh, visualizes it and stuff is terrifying. Frequently scary as fuck. And I'm not scared of aliens in most movies. Like, yeah, the way that the way that the scariest thing about it was how quick and quiet it is. Yeah. Like there's one scene where it flies over a mountain, just disappears like that. And you don't hear a fucking thing. And I was just like, yeah whoa like that thing is moving that thing is fucking moving it doesn't move in a normal way so your eyes are like whoa this is fucking trippy to look at like it's just moving vertically and horizontally and and weird it just the movement defies physics and that's how it should be for an alien ufo right that's cool as fuck and um at times It'll fly over the characters and you'll hear screaming from inside of it. And it's just like, oh my God, bone. That was sick. Yeah, that was fucking sick. There's a, I won't go into detail about what exactly happens, but there's a scene in a rainstorm that is just elevating what this thing is, what it can do, how it just terrorizes these people. And, and it's freaky as fuck. And, and it has the visuals to match so that the sound, the visuals all go together to create tension and terror. And I think it, it just, it scares me in a way that a lot of horror movies don't these days. And yeah, I think really? that's the you best were way. Scared? At, not throughout, 
ninety percent of the movie, but like, there's I'd like say a ten percent scary movie. You think so? I think it's his most thriller and least traditionally scary. Yeah, I, I think more often than not is more of an adventure movie. But when he pulls out the horror tools in his toolbox, it's incredibly effective. Yeah. Um, there's there's one scene that we can't really go into unless we want to go full spoilers. That is uh, disturbing. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, what the champ, the yeah. monkey, the yeah, monkey. Yeah. Um, my favorite part of the film, because again, like again, Jordan Peele on his worst day is better than most at their best, right? So there's a lot to love here. Mm-hmm. The acting, Daniel Kaluuya, even though he doesn't have the traditional leading man looks or stature, I mean, in this film, it looked like he put on some weight to like look like a farmer, right? I watched mm-hmm. uh, Get Out, and not only does he understandably look much younger, but I was like, dude, he looks like 50 pounds lighter too. Yeah. But he just has such a gravity to him. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even this very, you know, we just saw him last year put in the performance of the year as, um, oh, fuck. The leader of Black Panthers. Yeah, I, I know you're talking about. I didn't watch that one. Um, what, dude? I know. Oh, Blind yeah, spot. I forgot. You're you you. <laughs> what is this? What is this? Huh? I you saw Black just, like, You have so some I, like I, insane. I... <laughs> you have some insane blind spots. It's like how, like he won an Academy Award I know. last year. I know it was. Oh man, what? But I can't remember what the fuck the movie's called for the life of me. Which is something the... and the 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 the. the right it's like a longer title i don't remember what it is lord i feel like a fucking idiot like i told you guys at the top though i'm checked out today (laughs) oh judas and the black messiah he's playing the leader fred hampton all right so in judas he's playing fred hampton which is very boisterous loud role compelling Mm. as hell in that and this it's more of a quiet repressed role but even Mm. still he's just the fucking just the anchor of the whole movie the center of the whole screen Kiki Palmer, though, in the complete inverse, is just like a ball of flames, right? Yeah. She is just totally energy and charisma and charm turned up to a thousand. So I would say my favorite part of the film was the performances of those two, both individually as a believable brother, sister, co-working tandem, mm-hmm. the way that they work together. Like, I love the scene of him, like at the way way start having to try to explain what like him and his team do and just mm. fumbling through it completely. And then she storms in and gives that whole sale pitch. I love the combo of those two. Steven Young, I liked his character, even if I didn't understand it, like I was a bit off put by it. I don't really understand the monkey plot line that I much. Tell you. Well, I want to say my guess. All right. So let's talk. Let's now spoiler warnings, spoiler warnings, spoiler warnings. Stephen Young's character is a former childhood star who was on a 90s sitcom that was well-reviewed and was doing well, but got canceled after the monkey in it. I guess the story of the show was that a monkey like lives a family life as a pet, like with his family. It's like Alf. Like Alf, you said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while, like one day while they're shooting, the chimp goes nuts and basically kills the entire cat, <laughs> Fucking cast and crew. And because of that, it becomes like a cult hit legendary show yes sort of like the crow you know what i mean sure. so i understand uh, what i mean by i don't understand is i don't understand it thematically really i think that the fact that the shoe was pointing upward was because the ship was magnetized so there was something mm-hmm. in the shoe to make it point up and i think that they show with the horses that when it flies over animals they go kind of nuts right yeah. 
Okay, yeah. but was that just trying to show that it that the ship had been there for a while? What is the purpose of that subplot other than showing how long the ship has been there? So the whole movie is framed around we have to make money off of this crazy thing, right? Not the monkey, but the aliens. It's all about really exploiting like trauma and like terrible things and making money off of it. Because his whole thing is he goes on to sell people this room of like items from this tv show he's like oh this like couple pay me fifty thousand dollars to sleep in here and and stuff like that and then he has this whole set or whatever the hell amusement park and um then you see the the tmz guy come in later and he's fucking got all of his bones broken he's like film me (laughs) for the money uh so the whole movie is really about how can we go viral how can we make money off of these probably awful things i mean these fucking people got eaten alive by this ufo and spit out by the ufo all over this field so instead of running for your life and being traumatized like we got to make money off this and so that's where i think it all kind of fits in thematically okay that fit for you yeah Yeah. i buy it because i understood the plotting but i didn't really get like I just I, it like took it me a, a bit too as well i was like what's going why <laughs> and i did some thinking all right so that's about all i've got for nope what about you yeah i i think i covered pretty much everything i wanted to did to it live it. up to the hype that you had for it no uh okay. probably not i i i was disappointed that we didn't see the aliens because there are i mean we do but like it's uh, not are there the ship is the alien yeah is the idea right so I was hoping that we'd get some little green men come down and start killing people or something. And that doesn't happen. That's my own expectation. It's on me, but the movie in the trailer and they, it's in the movie, they set it up with the little creepy fuckers that walk around. And I was like, that's a terrifying image. And when they show up and it turns out to be kids, horrifying scene. Yeah. I was just going to say that, that like the most <laughs> traditionally scary scene is probably that fake out scene. Yes. And, and so I was like, when I realized, oh they're not in the movie i was like yeah. oh it's so disappointing but i was glad to have that one minute segment where i could feel like i was shitting bricks yeah okay yeah uh oh and then one last one where would you rank this in your jordan peele films i put it at number two behind get out okay okay fair you? enough is it possible to put them all even? I think they all have strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I, I think Get Out is his strongest, like for me, far and away. I think it's far and above uh, everything else. I don't know why that happened that way, but I think he had a really clearly defined message that hit on a lot of different levels, released at the right time, and uh, blends horror with just tension very yeah. well. Um, I think it's it's a little stronger, less convoluted, especially mm-hmm. than the other two. Yeah. That is true. The ending of us, I'm still trying to like wrap my head around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are drafting the best sci-fi movies of the 21st century. And then my interview with Chris Williams. All right, and we are back because of the release of Nope, which, as we talked about, is a real traditional Spielbergian-esque sci-fi. Um, we are drafting the best sci-fi movies to try to narrow it down of the 21st century. Now, for the rules in terms of what counts of sci-fi, I've been telling Kate all week that the famous definition of porn is that it's hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. And I think that that's a good way to approach the sci-fi draft. 
But then we also added in the wrinkle of space. So outer space, aliens, planets, etc., and or time travel needs to be seen, mentioned, or implied in some way. So what that does is that allows us to draft sci-fi films that are traditionally sci-fi with superhero elements to them, such as Guardians of the Galaxy or Man of Steel, or although it won't be picked, Eternals. Like, does that put Venom on the board? I I very uh, briefly considered Spider-Man 3. (laughs) I'm going to say, going to say that if we come to a point where we're like, uh, I don't know, I think the eye test is the best way to, like, I just feel like either you know or you don't. So because of this rule, that allows us to draft the likes of Guardians of the Galaxy and Man of Steel, but not draft the likes of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is a sci-fi film, but Mm -hmm. not the type of sci-fi that we're trying to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, And like Godzilla vs. Kong, which is a sci-fi science fiction premise because it's a fucking giant ape versus a giant T-Rex, but it's not outer space science fiction. It's an action-adventure movie more than it is sci-fi, I think. Right, right. So with that in mind, uh, Google, I just realized, got rid of the stopwatch function that I use all the time. Let's see if they still have the coin flip function. They do. Cade, heads or tails? Heads. Heads it is. You get first pick, sir. Interstellar. Coming out swinging. We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system can help us. Now you need to tell me what your plan is to save the world. We're not meant to save the world. We're meant to leave it. And this is the mission we were trained for. I've got kids, Professor. Get out there and save them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, okay, because I feel like there's there's two picks here. So I won't vamp since this is your pick. I'll let you explain why this is what you consider to be the best sci-fi film of the last 22 years. It's just, I think it's Christopher Nolan's best probably like i think it it is at least a strong contender has such an emotional heart and uses the time travel and space stuff to tie back into the very personal intimate stuff of that movie uh i cry like a bitch every time i watch that movie it's it wrecks me so hard um i i think all of this too young to see it in theaters though probably right Uh, i got to see it in 2020 in IMAX. So I, they brought it back and I got to go and I was so excited. And oh, it was just, how was that? Oh, it was just this overwhelming just sense. Uh, like it dominates you. Like it, it hurts you to watch at times, but it is it's oh, awesome. Oh, dude, the sound design is fucking nuts. So funny story about the first time I saw that. This is 2014. So I'm in college. Me and my boys get quite high to go see it as one does before a space film, before a Nolan film. And I'm sitting in the theater and I think they had just taken off the space and I get a phone call and it's my mom and dad. I'm like, oh boy, I, I, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on. So I step out the theater quick. I go, hello, mom and dad. And they're like, hello, Eric. And I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Is everything okay? They're like, yeah, we're out front. I'm like, out front? What are you talking about? They're like, for lunch. And I'm like, lunch? They said, yeah, we're coming to visit you today. And I completely <laughs> forgot, completely forgot that my parents had drove down to college to see me. And I was like, uh... Look, I'm I'm like I'm already at the theater, and I don't really have a way of leaving. And uh, <laughs> so long story short, my parents just turned around and drove home. Now, granted, I went 
to Rutgers. I, I'm from Jersey. So it was only like a 30, 30 40 minute drive. It's not like they trekked out the Tim sure. Lushu to see me. But still, just the fucking asshole forgetfulness that I had to completely blow them off. But it was worth it because Interstellar yeah. in theaters was fucking dope. Such an experience that when we left the theater, my boy just puked from pure like <laughs> sensory overload. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a theater ass movie in every sense of the word and i also think that at the time the reviews were solid but i feel like its reputation has grown absolutely because it got like a 70s i feel like on rotten tomatoes which i think this movie is way better than that and i think a lot of its logic is more sound than it probably has any right to be and it, it again it weaves in it's very high concept hard to follow sci-fi if you're not paying attention or don't have a good writer to really explain it in simple terms like thor does the thing with the folding the paper and the the pencil through the paper um the fact that that was able to be carried over to another major franchise and easily explain black holes is fucking that that proves i think you realize that the paper thing is from like a film in uh the 90s was it Event Horizon? Because that's the other mention. Yep, movie they yep mentioned. that's okay. it. Well, sorry, maybe I'm giving Nolan too much credit. But <laughs> nonetheless, I think everything else about it is incredibly They sound do, I and, think and- well, the one thing that they popularized that like simpletons that I could wrap their head around is the theory of relativity. Absolutely. And like the time warp thing. Do I understand it like a scientist? No. Yeah. But do I now like know what the theory of relativity is as a concept? Yes. And that is that because of this film? Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, dope movie. Matt Damon cameo just out of fucking, fucking nowhere sick. at the end, which is amazing. <laughs> um, this is McConaughey in the prime of his oh, career yes. rebound, which was a lot of fun at the time. So great pick. I exclaimed yes, because while this is the second film on my list, it's not my top choice. And my top mm-hmm. choice that I'm thrilled to select for my number one best sci-fi of the 21st century is Blade Runner 2049. You're a cop. I did your job once. Things were simpler then. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. What happened? I covered my tracks. Scrambled the records. We were being hunted. I've talked about this, the love I have for this film a thousand times on this show, so I won't belabor the point here. I would say Blade Runner 2049 and Interstellar, when I put out question in a tweet this week, those two were probably the most popular, I'd say, by some distance. Mm-hmm. So I think it's generally consensus in the culture what the two top dogs are. I think Dune is going to enter the conversation in the coming years, but I was actually not nuts about Dune. So, but that's here nor there. Blade Runner 2049 is probably the most visually stunning film i've ever seen right i think it does an incredible job of putting you in the protagonist's shoes and making you sympathize with him even though he is literally robotic like he is a robotic acting character he is a robot character so those are two things to sympathize with yet they do it they put you in his shoes on his journey i remember when you find out for the first time that he's not the chosen born kid heartbreaking I was so bummed. I was so bummed. I was like, that's fucking devastating when he dies at the end, even though they were planning a sequel. So I don't know how that would have turned out, even mm-hmm. though now I think Ridley Scott is working on a sequel series. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner 2049. And I had said this to Rhett Reese and Paul Warnick uh, when we talked about life. They were like, well, it didn't do the box office that wanted it, so it won't 
get a sequel. And I said, forget that. Leave it as the masterpiece that it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that, well, life is not quite a masterpiece. I do think (laughs) it has a, I I do think it's fantastic and has a great ending. Um, Sure. Blade Runner 2049 is that like, am I bummed we didn't get a part two? Yes, but like the way that just this is to me a perfect movie from start to finish. You look at the, and this is now a five-year-old film. You look at the CGI or the world building in this compared to some of the shit that we've seen over the last two, three years. And it's out of this world. And so, and it's also better than the original. While you could go back and watch Blade Runner 1. Have you seen it, Cade? Blade Runner. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, yeah. You look at it and you understand like, wow, I can see why this influenced the next 40 years of sci-fi. This looks great. It's a boring fucking movie. I can't Blade Runner, stand it. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049 is not boring. So it's an improvement. It's one of my favorite. It's in my top five favorite films of all time. I have a fifth behind Eternal Sunshine, Dark Knight, Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, and then this. Yeah. I turned to my dad when we left the theater and I said, I think that's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And uh, he he doesn't care for those kinds of movies. So he's like, really? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I like what you said about the world building too, because I think a lot of sci-fi movies have a lot of lingo and vocabulary and just shit going on. And it just kind of washes over you. It just, it feels like generic, right? But this movie has texture to it. It feels like you are immersing yourself into this shitty dystopia. And it, it accurately captures every little, it feels like a living world. It feels like it exists somewhere. Yeah. And that's, that's an achievement in and of itself. And that's not even to go into all the story that I'm not going to bore you with. But I think that movie is fucking amazing. I let you have it because you mentioned it to me on, on DMs. And I was like, he's going to pick it. I'll let him have it. So let me have it. Why would that have been your first pick? Um, I, I think Interstellar still probably would have topped it. But I mean, it probably would have been second. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, and then yours was my top two pick. So good reversal all right go ahead you're up now here th- i think from this point on things are wide open yeah absolutely there's a <laughs> lot of good picks uh district nine oh you're gonna be <laughs> <laughs> i thought i was gonna be able to steal that one absolutely not. that is a fucking awesome movie first r-rated movie i ever saw in a movie theater my oh, uncle man, took you were me what to see eight it. yeah uh my uncle took me to see it and then it was just such a good time. I I remember not only feeling like, oh, this is cool. Like I shouldn't be here. Like, <laughs> but uh, go, after I'd gotten over all the gore and stuff, I was like, oh, there's something really sad about this. Like you're watching this guy deteriorate and try to do the quote unquote right thing and uh, being routinely punished for it, not just by the people he works for, but by just life. Like, uh, I mean, the end of the movie when he's basically a full-blown alien and is eating the cat food is so depressing. And, Part, yeah, it's devastating. It's devastating. Uh, it's one of the first movies that I remember like had an ending that kind of like moved me, like made me feel something really sad. And I was yeah. like, wow. Um, I'm very excited that Neil Blomkamp is doing a sequel we'll see if it actually happens but he keeps saying that it's happening and is getting more and more confident about it but he's making that gran turismo movie that comes out next year so i don't know where this falls on the slate but nonetheless if you haven't seen it fucking amazing movie it's super cool like found footage and not at the same time it's just fucking awesome so i actually just rewatched it i looked through my tweets i rewatched it in december and i wrote 
every time I catch this film, I'm awed by how good it is and how well it's aged. Equal parts unsettling, tense, and heartbreaking. It's got socio-political commentary, body horror, incredible CGI, family drama, abhorrent villains, sci-fi world building, and classic action thrills. I mean, it's like the perfect sci-fi film. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, like you said, with the body horror, a vile movie, like truly disgusting, but very effective and and purposeful. Yeah. Great pick. All right. Things get tough now. Now, see, and here is what back when the co-host of this show was Brandon, I would smoke him in drafts because like he doesn't (laughs) understand drafting strategy. And it's like about like understanding what your quote unquote opponent might want to pick and not so much what you want. So now I've got to start to think about what I would expect you to and to not take and what I could afford to leave on the board. So because of me then now, so this doesn't necessarily represent the fact that I think this is the fourth best sci-fi film of the last 22 years. It just represents the fact that I want this movie on my team. So with my number two pick, I'm going with James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy. So here we are. A thief, two thugs, an assassin and a maniac. But we're not going to stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy. I guess we're stuck together. Partners. I'm taking that because I think it's the best MCU film. I think Infinity War is in the conversation, but that's kind of cheating, right? It's like, that's why in boxing there's weight classes because they're just kind of not comparable size films. They're very different. Yeah. Gardens of the Galaxy, I think, is like sort of, basically sort of a Star Wars for a new age. I think while... Volume two was certainly not as good as one. It's better than most of the sequels in the MCU. And I have a sneaky feeling that three is going to be fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, The cast is phenomenal. And it sort of proved that at the time that Marvel could basically get away with whatever they wanted to do. I had never heard of these guys. I had heard of Captain America and Iron Man and Thor, but I had never heard of these guys. And out of nowhere, they became my favorite MCU franchise. Now, I have my qualms with Peter Quill and what he did in Infinity War, but that's okay. not part of this movie, which I think is just, it's one of the, MC, the only MCU films to have romance, like mm-hmm. like Peter Quill woos and sacrifices his life for um, Gamora. Gamora. It, of course, is vibrant and colorful, and this is back when Marvel CGI didn't look like it was being shit out the back door. <laughs> And then they actually spent time on it, like the locales and space. Or when you see that first head of nowhere, you're like, mm-hmm. my fucking scales are all <laughs> here. Like, what, what is going on right now? You yeah. know what I mean? So it just completely puts you in a new world. Of course, its tone is like perfect. Like that, the, uh, the scene where they're in jail, where Rocket is explaining like how they're going to break out and rob the place. And in the background, you just see Groot like, ignoring the fuck out of them and just <laughs> ripping out, out the battery and like the scene starts from there the we are Groot scene where he makes himself a cocoon and all the lights fill up the center I think is genuinely visually thematically one of the MCU's most beautiful scenes so I think when Marvel and superhero genres and, domi- and the superhero genre has dominated in the way that it has over the last 15-20 years considering the fact that I think that this is the best MCU film and that it's also a, a, a classic sci-fi film, I felt I had to take it. Yeah. Uh, 
that is one of the very few Marvel movies my mom has ever seen. And I don't know why she went with us, but she went and she loved it and is probably one of her favorite movies. Um, I also think that movie has an amazing opening scene with, with him and his mom, uh, Peter Quill. Right. Uh, how James Gunn managed to rip your heart out in like five minutes is incredible. I, 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 that is masterful writing and performances from the child and the mother. Good stuff. I, I think that's a solid, solid pick. All right, Cade, third pick. This is a tough one. Um, I'm going to go with Looper. Ah, you cucks. Do you know what's going to happen? You done all this already? That's me? I don't want to talk about time travel. We both know how this has to go down. So why don't you do what old men do? And die. Why don't you just take your little gun out of between your legs and do it, boy? <laughs> so, uh, if so, for me, my pick two was between Looper and Guardians, and I yeah. didn't think, and I didn't know that you liked Looper like that. It's such a cool fucking movie. Uh, like, wait, now would you have taken Guardians if I didn't take it? No, I, I wanted uh, I to take Looper. Then I fucked up. I fucked I, up. I wanted to put it on my list at some point, but I was like, I, I kind of just want to find things that aren't superhero-y as much as I possibly can. I just maybe give away some of my strategy here. I, <laughs> I got that completely wrong. I, oh. All right, go ahead, because I love this movie. Go ahead. It is Talk such it a cool play on time travel of, like, these two guys basically exist at the same time in some way. One is older, one is younger. And... uh the way he's able to like communicate with him by like carving something into his skin and yeah, shit. Gnarly as fuck. Holy fuck. Like why? Well, that scene <laughs> where, where, where that guy is getting literally cut to pieces mm-hmm. and is rushing there just so they'll kill him and put his past self out of the pain. I will say, and I'm not just saying this because I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I rewatched this because it was, it's currently on Netflix. So mm-hmm. if you've not seen it, watch it. Parts of it have not aged well. Some of the like cosmetics and makeup look sure. a bit goofy. It always um, did to me. I think that some of like it may not be as like well written as I once recall, but in terms of like a sci-fi construct and in terms of like an emotional story and mm-hmm. an emotional ending, this fucking nails it. Yeah, I mean that the ending still to this day where he just flips the shoddy and blasts himself in the yeah. chest. Well, one of the best sci-fi twist endings I've ever seen. It's everything about it is incredibly well. I mean, the movie starts in like a big sci-fi, almost Blade Runner E city. And then it ends, you know, basically in a field. Like it's, it's, it's like fucking Iowa. Like, <laughs> so yeah. it's just cool. It's, it's a really well-made sci-fi movie that feels like it, it carefully plots out its rules and, and tries to make it all come together in a high concept way. Well, let me ask you about if you think that these films can or not. I'm not sure I'm going to pick it here. I just, sure. this is the time of that to ask. What do you think about the Planet of the Apes films? Because uh, it, it, it doesn't qualify in our rules. I don't think they implicitly mention space or mm-hmm. time travel, but like Planet of the Apes feels pretty sci-fi to me, right? I, I think so, yeah. And I guess Planet is in the title, so that can <laughs> If you really want to get nitpicky, yeah, I think so. Okay. I looked at a bunch of sci-fi lists just to be like, what's out there? And that was on a lot of them. So I think it counts. Okay. Okay. Uh, For my third pick, I'm going with Rise of the Planet. No, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. 
I almost You're locked in. I almost mind fucked myself there for a second. <laughs> My third pick, I'm going with Prometheus. Uh really okay. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, I have. Ridley Scott's wildly underrated alien prequel, $150 million original sci-fi. Yeah. That barely happens these days. It's a brother. whack movie. I mean, like in a good way. Like oh, it's just oh, like oh, oh, whack like, in terms of in terms of like fucking everything it does. Incredible <laughs> cast, Charlie Starin, Idris, Idris Elba. Um, you looked at me like you were gonna jump through my screen, and stab me in the throat. Because <laughs> I mean, like I could see you being like, oh, I don't think it's worth a pick, but for you to be like sure. whack movie, I was like, what? Dude, have you seen this movie? Like it's pretty good. It's like the best movie I've ever seen. It's pretty good. Uh. Oh, the, the cast is fucking great. And I actually talked Guy Pierce about it a bit. So Charlize Theron, Michael Fassbender, Guy Pierce, Idris Elba, Numi Rapice, Logan Marshall Green, and there's a couple of more. Point being is stacked cast. It is a prequel to one of arguably the most iconic sci-fi film of all time, Aliens and one and two. I think that similar to Interstellar, its reputation has aged incredibly. Uh, since I just went like sort of hardcore franchiseification with Guardians, I wanted to get a like a, an uh, iconic director on my board. Ridley Scott does that for me. Yeah. If we were doing best sci-fi films of all time, of course I'm taking like Aliens here. But this yeah. is only yeah, the yeah. last 22 years. So I just think that in the same way as you were talking about how like District Nine is fucking gnarly, the deaths in this movie are fucking gnarly. Like the first one when that little sort of like. I don't know what you call it, snake thing gets inside that guy's uh, suit or when Fastbender poisons the dude water with the black goop and he starts to just melt from the inside. The creation of the alien, alien. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot here that I think while, like I think in hindsight, people will realize like, oh, this is this is actually a phenomenal sci-fi. Yeah, I, I almost considered Alien Covenant. I really like that movie. I think that movie's freaky. I'm very disappointed that he's not going to get to finish his little trilogy. Um, I think that movie, Ridley Scott still has his like sick brain of like, I'm going to do some fucked up gnarly shit because there's a death and a couple deaths in Covenant that's just like vile, so gory, so bloody. I appreciate everything he's doing and taking his his swings, especially with something like Prometheus, which does not have aliens in the title or anything like that. It's just fucking like come on a weird sci-fi ride with me. And I didn't even uh, mention that like the themes and ideas that it's trying to tackle are fucking crazy. Yeah, massive. Absolutely massive. So credit for that as well. All right, Cade, your fourth pick. <sighs> I'm in a toss-up between two. One is a very I feel like solid pick, but the other one is a little more franchisey. But I'm gonna go with the franchisey one because I do really like it. I'm gonna go Revenge of the Sith. Okay, oh. I really enjoy that movie. I've got, I've gotten a lot of shit. I know that movie is a lot more respected. Of the That's prequels. the first one that I didn't have like written down on like the giant list. That okay, I, I I I think that movie wow. is a very good political movie for you know George. Lucas always wanted to have some politics and war and stuff. This movie is the best one of them all in that sense because it shows the fall of fucking democracy while having cool lightsaber fights and a guy being burnt in a, in a volcano. And like, I think the 
the uh, fall of Anakin Skywalker is incredibly tragic and and well uh, illustrated, and all of the relationships in the movie are pretty well done. Um, I think it's it's probably my my favorite or second favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah, I mean, they certainly count. I was just not going to take any Star Wars or Trek films, even though Rogue One is probably one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. Uh, But I just think Star Wars is like a category and genre unto itself. It is. Uh, All right, so for my fourth pick, I am also between two here. Actually, I'm between a lot. Uh, (laughs) Well, I already have one from this director, so I can say what it is. I won't be taking Arrival. So I'm between two here. And between something I mentioned earlier, so that would be one of the Planet of the Apes films. And I think Rise is the second one, right? I think Rise, because War is the last one. Yeah. Dawn is the first one. Yeah. So Rise is the second one. I think Rise is the best. And then uh, I'm also torn between this one and I'm going to go for it because I've got a director I love. I've got a franchise I love. I've got a film I love. Now I'm going to go with a movie star. I'm going to take Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I think that is the most solid time travel movie uh, probably out there, like at least from the, the list that we've curated here. Yeah, it's Tom Cruise doing his Tom Cruise thing. Emily Blunt and I mean, she was a star already, but this mm. was at a point where people were like, well, she fucking kicks ass too. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that. Like you said, very inventive sci-fi. I think it sort of reinvigorated Tom Cruise's career at a time where he needed it. Endlessly rewatchable, just such a mm-hmm. fast-paced, well-constructed film. There's been talks of a sequel for years now. It hasn't quite come to fruition yet, but this again, I feel like this is a case with a lot of the films on this list. Its reputation has grown since it came out. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it did like extremely well. No, um, people fucking love this movie. I mean, they remarketed it or rebranded it as "Live, Die, Repeat" or whatever. I think yeah, is what it was. Which is or, a far worse title. It's but much uh, clearer, but much you know. Yeah, it's whatever. But I, I think I'm call- on this podcast, it's Edge of Tomorrow. It's absolutely. I agree. Even though that's still like a very generic name, like it's just yeah. it makes more sense. Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it came at a time where like Tom Cruise was trying just about any other action franchise outside of Mission Impossible. We had Oblivion, this Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher is the only one that really stuck. I mean, it only got two movies, but um, it was an interesting point in his career where he was trying other things. And this was a good pick for him, I think. Yeah. All right, Cade, your fifth and final. I'm going to go with something you probably haven't heard of. It's oh, called. Sick coherence oh my god is this the one where they're at the dinner table yep and it's like schrodinger's cat so i oh i didn't know that that's the concept but i've heard of it because like a few years ago my buddies all watched it in my living room but i went to take a nap instead (laughs) and when i woke up they were just like dude and i was like like this so i've not gone back to it yet so i won't spoil it in that case uh but it is a very heady you've mentioned schrodinger's cat on the show before so i know you're familiar with the concept it is all about that that is the entire premise of the movie and has a lot of things we've already kind of talked about here in some capacity it is a mind fuck in every sense of the word it is if you haven't seen this movie it's pretty short i think it's about 90 minutes it's really well acted as far as i know a lot of the movie was done where they didn't tell the actors what were going to happen. So like everyone had their own little agenda on set and they're like, just go do this and see what happens. And right, so it's right. a, a very fun indie movie. Shit, where I gotta, let me add this to my list right now. It's very, very good. Uh, and a little, a little spooky. Um, 
so I think I think it is uh, one of the most underrated sci-fi movies out there. Okay. All right. Safe to say that I did not have that one on my list. Okay. For my fifth and final, I'm going with Wally. Um, yes. One of the greatest animated films of all time, arguably the greatest Pixar film ever made. Famously a silent film for about half of it. It is remarkably prescient, I think, in terms of where human race is going. I think the Wally character and Eve are two of the best characters that Pixar have ever created. I think that it's one of the only Pixar films that may be specifically made for adults. Like, I don't know how you market this. Sure. Like, I mean, I'm like, I could see how they marketed it to kids, but I can't imagine like a 10 year old being like, oh, I loved Wally. Like, I saw this as like an older person. I was like, this mm-hmm. is sick. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the praises of Wally have been sung thousands of times by thousands of people. So I really don't need to explain that any further. I just wanted to get something. Um, a little more childlike wonder on my list. So for my five picks, I have Blade Runner 2049, Guardians of the Galaxy, Prometheus, Edge of Tomorrow, and Wally and Cade. Interstellar, uh, District 9, Looper, Revenge of the Sith, and Coherence. And now here are some on my list that did not get picked. Uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Great name. There's Life, of course, which I've talked about on this show a bit. Uh, two films from Alex Arland, Ex Machina and Annihilation. Fantastic. Source Code. That's the one I had. I was the one I was just like, oh, I, I might throw this in. I love Source Code. It's an amazing movie. movie. Uh, the Planet of the Ape films and Man of Steel. Um, what about you, kid? The only others that you didn't already mention, uh, like you said, Source Code. Uh, Donnie Darko. Okay. Oh, wow. um, okay. Tenet. Oh! It has some time travel stuff in it. But 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 when you look at it, do you see sci-fi? No, not really. It's why I didn't go with it. But yeah, I was like, yeah, if yeah. I need to have something in there, this is what I'll go with. Uh Tenet. Um oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That's sci-fi. Yeah. That's sci-fi. Um and then you're probably gonna argue this. And I I, I threw it on here just because I, I was like, eh, I don't know, prisoner of Azkaban. That has a lot of time yes. travel in it, but it's not, it doesn't appear as a yeah, sci-fi you're kinda movie. Cheat, you're kind of cheating there. I, I meant time travel like Edge of Tomorrow. I know. Road. I know. Not like Lingardia time travelosa. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I didn't go with it, but I was like, I like this. as It is a good time travel movie. It uses time travel quite, quite interestingly. All right, now to change directions quite a bit, my interview with Chris Williams, the director of animated films such as Bolt, Big Hero 6, Moana, and his new film, The Sea Beast, which hit Netflix about a week ago and has been in the top 10 ever since. So stick around for that. Chris Williams, the director of animated films such as Bolt, Big Hero 6. He's the co-director on Moana and the director of the new Netflix film Sea Beast, which, Chris, came out a week or so ago? Yeah, about almost two weeks ago, yeah. And it's been in the top ten since. Yeah. It's it's sticking around, man. I I believe we're number one in the world as we speak. Awesome. Uh, Congratulations. Well-deserved. It's a fantastic film. I have a soft spot for animation that I feel like is growing as I get older. Mm. Um, And first of all, I think Google either lied about your age to me because you are much younger than I thought that you were going to be. Perhaps it's because you tap into the childlike wonder (laughs) so much for your job. Something like that. Although the the movies are catching up with me. I'm starting to look more my age uh, all the time. 
so I want to start kind of broad. Uh, I'm fascinated if your passion came from animation or film. So sort of like yeah. your first credit is on Mulan. So talk to us about your career journey, how you wound up working on that project and what you did on that film. Sure. I mean, if 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 you're talking about um, if you're wondering about where the the it all came from, it was if I go all the way back to my childhood, I, I used to draw all the time and and I would always I'd always be drawing with a story in mind. I was drawing se sequentially and I was creating characters and worlds. And and as soon as I got my hand on um, my hands on a, a, a camera, I started making stop motion films with my dad. So I just loved the idea of visual storytelling. And um, and so that that was always there, and it was, and 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 that that was my obsession. And I wasn't good at very much else. And my mom was very worried about what I would do for a living, so she encouraged me to to study animation at Sheridan College in Canada, where I'm from. And from there, I was I was uh, uh, and 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 I really at that point knew that animation was for me. I really was committed to it, and. Was lucky enough then to get an internship at, at Disney Animation and was there for almost 25 years uh, before uh, moving on to Netflix. But I've always loved animation and I love movies too. You know, right. uh, I, I'm a big fan of live action movies as well. Because it's, yeah, because from what you're saying, it sounds like a bit of both. You were lucky enough, you enjoyed film, but you were lucky enough to have the talent to draw. Yeah, yeah, I loved I I just write about it. You were able to go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what? I just, I didn't have a choice. It was a compulsion. I just was, I needed to draw all the time. I get antsy if I'm not drawing. Um, and, and, and our story meetings, we're all sitting there drawing each other while we're discussing the movie, you know, it's, and a lot of people in animation are like that. It's, yeah. it's, it was never really a choice. It wasn't like, Oh, I elect to draw or to get into animation. You really have no choice. So take me back to the mid to late '90s. Are you fresh out of college, and Mulan's your first gig? Um, I'd been out of college for a while. Uh, I, I studied fine arts uh, in my hometown in um, in Kitchener, Ontario, and then I uh, studied animation for a couple summers at, at Sheridan College, as I said. And then I got the uh, Disney internship in Florida, oh, wow. and, and where it was where we were learning all the sort of various disciplines within animation. And I actually did a few. Had a very uh, exciting time for the form, too, right? Oh. Well, I mean, yeah, that it is my timing. I was very lucky um, to get into animation when I did. When I went to study uh, uh, animation, it was at a time when uh, when people thought of animation, they thought of Saturday morning cartoons. It 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 was considered something that was just for kids, and in the t and in the time that I got into. It, when when I was going to school and 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 started my career at Disney, the, it was the beginning of a huge revolution. I, I think in the animation industry. Thanks, um, Steve Jobs. <laughs> it was a lot of things. It was a lot of things. I think that people started Disney started making really great movies, and and then there was the advent of of Pixar Studios and. People started discovering Miyazaki films in, mm. in North America. Mm -hmm. I think there was an appreciation for European animation films and 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 on and on. And then of course, so many of the of the live action movies, um, the, the big blockbuster live action movies feature quite a bit of animation as well. And of course, the explosion of video games, on and on and on. The animation industry has has exploded. 
um, in, in the last 30 years that I've been working in, in this business. And we didn't even talk about like the various like comedic TV shows that now exist for adults. Um, sure. Do you find that the business and the form is gets more respect now than it did when you first started? I think so. I think there's been a, a big evolution. I think that the audience has grown with us. Um, we certainly don't think of the movies that we make as as kids movies. We want to make movies that that we think are great. Yeah, and and I'm I'm gonna ask about like sort of where that starting point begins. Um, sure. We'll get to see Beast next. Just real quick, I want to bring up the first movie that I ever was taken to see was Pocahontas. Mm. And the first movie that I remember seeing in theaters was Toy Story 2. So it's like mm. foundational in my film, you know, passion. Yeah. Uh, but, and I only just realized that talking to you now. Let's move on to the CBs. Chris, I need your help. How do we elevate the pirate genre? Why aren't there more pirate movies? And this is a genuine question. Are people intimidated by the Disney films? Uh, there's Black Sails, the show. There, mm -hmm. There is the assassin's creed game there mm -hmm. is the pirates franchise but other than that i don't feel like there has been enough pirate content in my life <laughs> you know it's it's a it's a good question there certainly are those those great moments in the the history of of uh uh pirate movies and and seafaring movies i think it's a little bit like like westerns have have suffered maybe a similar fate I think if I was to speculate, the the movie industry is pretty conservative. You know, they they make massive investments in anything that they're making. And so they're very cautious and careful. And when you have a really specific genre like a Western or like a, a pirate movie or a seafaring film, um, I think if 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 something if something doesn't connect, a studio will remember that and be very reluctant to to try it again. And and so I, I, I think that so, that's so we've got to blame Disney for doing perhaps two or three too many pirate films. <laughs> well, I don't want to get into all that, but I know there was a lot of trepidation and concern about how the first parts of the Caribbean movie would do. Oh, yeah. Um, can, can people get over the hump of, of going to see a movie like that? And obviously they did. And it was a massive success and a really fun film. Um, but I think that, yeah, anytime that there's a misfire, as far as the box office goes, the, the studios, they don't forget. And, and with a, with a genre that's as specific as that, um, it is, it is, uh, it, 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 it becomes an issue. And even a movie like Master and Commander that was so great, you know, you just read my mind, please oh, go okay. ahead. I mean, Master and Commander was, was obviously a big, had a big impact on me. One of the consultants on, on the Sea Beast was, was a consultant on Master and Commander and and he was his passion for uh these ships and 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 that life uh was was palpable and 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 he was such an amazing resource for us so i felt this kind of connection to that movie and and i feel like it it, it was a great movie it was it was it's beloved and if and if it had just done a little bit more of the box office we would have seen more of those films you know um, and so it is, it, it is an unfortunate reality that, that the studios are conservative. So I was reading that you were attached to this film as early as 2018. Uh, and I'm sure you had the idea before then, if, uh, if that's correct. How do you conceptualize the stories that you want to take on? Did you find yourself one day thinking, I want to take on a comic book story, or I want to take mm. on a seafaring story? How, what is sort of the inception 
of your movie? Like where, what's that starting point like for you? Okay, uh, this again takes me all the way back. Cause when I was a kid, the movies I loved were the, the action adventure films. That was the genre that I loved the most. And so of course I love Star Wars. Uh, in, like indie, roll, man from the stone, those type of things, right? Yeah, Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark had a massive impact on me. The the King Kong had a huge impact on me. I was I was collecting King Kong cards when I was a kid, and I know the '70s version of King Kong is not considered the the best version of 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 King Kong, but it was my version, and I loved it. And just that idea of the uncharted island, like going off into the leaving the known world and going off into the unknown, was always so compelling to me. And I do remember really specifically having an experience in the theater watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, where um, I was I was watching it, and of course, really in its grip, you know, just enthralled by it, so entertained by it. But I was also having this internal conversation where I recognized on on some level that this was made by adults. I understood that. And but they obviously love this subject matter. They love the things that I love. And it was strangely reassuring. I, 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 I took away from it the idea that I could grow up and, and not let go of all the things that I love now. And it made growing up less scary to me. <laughs> and so it was just a genre that I've always loved and one that I wanted to take on animation. And, and I wanted to make a real uh, something that, that sort of captured the spirit of those, those classic adventure stories. Well, so you sort of lead me into my next point. One of your skills, and I think of anybody in this world, is that you're able to, as an adult, have an understanding of what children enjoy, what they find funny, what they find scary. Where does that skill come from? Have you honed it over the years? How are you mm -hmm. able to sort of tap into that childlike wonder and see the world mm -hmm. and films through their eyes? Mm. That's a, it's a really interesting question because... I think probably after 30 years, you, you, you are, there's an awareness on some level like, oh, this, this ought to be um, something that kids can watch. Um, although I would say for the Sea Beast, we were aware that this might be too intense for younger kids. What age is that? What would you count as a younger kid? Uh, you know what? It's really hard to say because it depends on the kid. You know, I, I, have, my, I have two kids and, and one of them is, is more sensitive than the other. And so I would I would hesitate to try to assign an age, mm -hmm. um, but so I mean especially when I was at Disney, um, there was you, you had to be you were aware like okay this needs to be a, a a film that families could sit down and watch, but beyond that we never asked that question what would a kid want to see or what would a kid enjoy we were making movies for us, and and so that that was never really a consideration or well, something. Can that I tell you why I, I asked it? Because I was fascinated by how you towed the line of making a legitimately threatening villain without pushing, going too far and scaring them. There mm. is an inherent understanding of children there, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. At yeah. least I, I think so. Yeah, no, no, there is. There is that awareness. Like, we're not making uh, Halloween, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and I didn't leave uh, Disney to go off and make Reservoir Dogs. Like, there was, and, and, I, and I, I have an appreciation for some really messed up movies, you know what I mean? But I know that's not what, what, what I do for a living, you know? And, 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 uh, and so, so there, there's, there's that awareness. And I would say for, for the Sea Beast, as I said, it was a little bit tougher. There's a little bit stronger sense of peril and danger than other movies that I've worked on. And that was actually something that was discussed, you know, at, at Netflix. Like, is this is this too much in places? 
Um, and and we actually did. We had one of we had one test screening where that was probably the the main question on people's minds is how would this play for younger viewers, and and is it too much? And so we 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 showed the movie at that time. It was in the middle of the pandemic. We weren't doing screenings in theaters. We were sending out links to families and then getting feedback. And so we ended up doing a specific um, uh, 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 Zoom call with kids that were I think between maybe seven and ten you know, just, just to get their reactions. And there was a moderator there and the moderator asked if, if there were anything in, if there was anything in the movie that was really scary and they all put up their hand and they all said the witch, the witch, the witch. And they were referring to Gwen, Gwen Batterby, uh, the weapons manufacturer, the weapons merchant. And, and so then the moderator said, Oh, so would you like to see less of the witch? And they said, no, we want to see more of the witch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the kids do like to get pushed to their well, their when they know it's forbidden. Pardon me? When they know it's forbidden, you know, it's the hot stove. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, they want to know what their limits are. They want to test themselves. You know, we all do. You know, I like scary movies and 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 I want I like to be pushed to that point where it's it's almost too much, you know, and uh and 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 enjoy that that thrill. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's okay to, 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 um, present things that are just a little bit more on the edge, uh, when it comes to animation. So I want to ask one more about the sort of thematics and then we'll get into a bit of tech stuff. This is not a criticism of your films or the form or more so, or more so when this genre or form goes wrong. What are the keys to telling an earnest narrative without wading into schlock? And is that something that you're conscious of when you make these films? Because what you are trying to do at the end of the day is telling an inspiring story that helps kids grow or learn or understand or feel something. And that is, I would imagine, difficult to do without pushing it into like hunky-dory kind of roll your eyes, parents being like, what am I watching here type stuff. So where, where do you, how do you find that balance? Mm. That's, a, that's a good question. I think that like we're, because we're, we're always asking ourselves, what is, what are the, what is the central thematic statement? What 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 are the themes of this of this story, and and being conscious of that, making sure that the story is serving that. And there are times where you can pare it all away, and and arrive at what feels like some pretty simple truths. But I think sometimes it's it's important that with with art and with with movies that that we reaffirm simple truths. You know what I mean? That 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 people need. Um, and so, so sometimes I'm not afraid of things that that may, might feel if you pared it all away, you might say too simple or schlocky or whatever, because we are human beings or we're emotional beings. And, and sometimes we need sort of uh, those those simpler ideas and that and that emotional reassurance. But I, I think it, you have to also present the complexities of uh, around it. You know what I mean? I think, you, I think in the story and the characters in the story, you have to present uh, contradictions and complexities so that it's not just we're hammering the same idea down the audience's throat uh, through through the entire experience. So to that point, what are some of the biggest, whether it be animated films or children's films or films in general, what are some of the biggest tropes that you look to avoid? And what are your, some of your favorite ones that you like to hit? And I say this because, and I say this is not only as an adult, but of somebody of, with greater understanding of film and three-act structure and blah, blah, blah. I got the read that the Beast would wind up being the good guys and that Jared Harris's captain, while I was surprised by his ultimate resolution in the end, I mm -hmm. had a feeling that he would wind up being 
being the heel, but I have a more analytical eye when it comes to those things. But are there any sort of storytelling tropes that you either tend to try to stay away from or tend to navigate or draw yourself towards? Yeah, I mean, there there are certain things that like even in the trailer, we almost sort of nodded in that direction a little bit that that the there's going to be some revelations about the the sea monsters it's not going to be quite as simple as as hunters good sea monsters bad and and so i wasn't afraid of that because you because i think that there's always going to be with when you try to create a story or a movie you're trying to create this blend of the familiar and then the unexpected and and you can look at the first five minutes of the movie and see that I'm not afraid of tropes because we have a one eye we have a uh, a one eyed captain and we have a, a, a an officer with a peg leg peg leg first mate yeah right we exactly. got the hook hand we got all that stuff and I I love that stuff I love celebrating that lineage and those tropes right um, and it almost kind of and and if there's there are familiar elements familiar characters familiar story beats. That with, with whatever you're working with, if you're making a movie, I, I'm not afraid of those things um, as long as they're balanced then by the unexpected. And I think the familiar things just make the audience comfortable and disarms them a little bit so they can be receptive to things that are, are, that are more unusual or things they it's haven't seen before. A, it's not about avoiding some, it's just finding the right balance between the two. Yeah, and I think all all great movies uh, find that balance, you know. And and I can point to the all the movies that I love, and and you'd be able to see things within it that feel familiar and things that are that are unexpected. I, one of my favorite movies is Unforgiven, and that's a movie that takes all of these all these tropes and then completely upends them, you know. And and so I think that 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 is a, a perfectly acceptable thing to do. So let's talk about your cast. Your two, I mean. <laughs> The, the voice cast is stellar to the extent that I picture a Eureka light bulb moment. Like, we got to cast Carl Urban and Jared Harris. Like, <laughs> such piratey voices. <laughs> you got like a big board of like pirate voices, pirate voice actors that you worked through. How did you land? How did those two find your film? Uh, we were so lucky. Unbelievable. We were so lucky. I mean, when you start out, we have an idea of the characters, and then we actually start making lists of all the actors that we think could portray these characters, right? And a lot of times, we'll just we'll just pluck dialogue and put it against images, and just get a sense of how that would feel. And and um, we had a when when you're thinking about a character like Captain Crow, you can look to Game of Thrones. There's there's twenty of them there that could probably play that character, right? And so we had a Brandon good list. Going. <laughs> we had we had a, an ex, a long list. But I saw Jared Harris in the miniseries The Terror. I don't know if you've seen that one. Oh, yes. I faded out. But that's the one where the boat gets stuck up north in the Arctic, right? It's so good. Really? A panda? Oh, I got to pick that back up. Okay, cool. It's cool. so good. It's so good. And his performance is amazing. As soon as I saw that, I, I was like, okay, he's the, on the top of my list. And, and we met with him and he wanted to do it. And, and, and that was obviously a big moment for the production. I think I'm not understanding it when I say that I or overstating it when I say that I think he's really one of our great living actors. He was mm. just, he had such an incredible presence. And I knew when I was recording with him that, that something special was happening uh, in that room, you know? Um, and, uh, and one of those guys, he kind of reminds me not in a direct cop of, but he reminds me of like Mark strong, wherein like they could be, menacing and terrifying and fatherly on the flip of a dime yes there's so many layers because a, a character like captain crow he is has a strong feeling of authority and and you can and he has an emotional volatility and it can be scary but there's also this vulnerability 
and this warmth that he feels towards towards Jacob. And he's and there's so much complexity, and it all comes through in his performance. And the animator the animators could not wait to get their hands on his on his character, whether it was one of the more subtle moments or one of the moments of explosion. Uh, they were so great to work with. And uh, but we we'd cast him first, and we hadn't yet cast our our Jacob. And we were, this was back when we were able to still record in person because most of the recording was done during the pandemic. So I never actually, I still have not been in the same room with Carl Urban yet. Um, and, and uh, but we were, we were recording in a studio here in Los Angeles and there was a billboard for the boys um, mm -hmm. outside of the recording studio. And both Jared Harris and our producer, Jed Schlanger, were uh, big fans of the boys, but I'd never seen it before. This is all the way, this would have been back when I think they'd only had season one, I believe. Uh -huh. And um, and so I checked it out and I and I, I really I gained a, a real appreciation for, for Carl Urban and what he could do. And, and sometimes people are surprised when they find out that Carl Urban played both Billy Butcher and the Jacob character, uh, because in, in, one, in, in one sense, they couldn't be more different but I always saw them as two sides of a coin, right? Because they both suffered a childhood or they both suffered a trauma, right? right? And they both were then impacted by that to the extent that it really came to define them. You know, everything that they're doing in their lives is a result of that, right? Black so, and white, but now as they grow, they see there's some gray there. Yeah, yeah, and, and Billy Butcher, I mean, it manifests in a very sort of hateful way, right? He wants to get revenge and he's gonna do it through violence, right? And Jacob, it, it affects him too, but he it manifests in a, in a more seemingly positive way. He's going to work with a group of people and he's going to protect people from having the experience that he once had. And so they are related, but it's a credit to Carl Urban that, <laughs> that they couldn't be at the same time more different. You know, Carl, I mean, you got him at a great time. Of course, his career is blown up with the boys. I'd say the same is the case about Jared Harris. He was a revered character actor, but now post Chernobyl, he's like a guy. <laughs> Carl Urban, do you know who the fans want him as next? And I think Carl has spoke on it and been like, I'm the same age as the guy who just played him. Right. <laughs> yes, I I yeah. heard that, that people wanted him to do Wolverine, and I thought his reaction was fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So in keeping with the, the guy that I know. You know what I mean? Like he was he he kind of made light of it, was very honest and open about it. Yeah. And and I think uh, people uh I, I'm happy to report that he's as nice a guy as you hope he would be. So uh, um let me start to wind down here. It's not to take up too much of your time on a Friday. That's okay. Um, I don't mind. You're my last thing for the week. Not only just the week, but then I'm going on vacation. So. <laughs> hey, me too. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm going away with my girlfriend's family for the first time. So. Oh, good luck. Where are you going? Thank you. I, I live in Jersey, so we're just going down the shore. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, big, uh, big week in my uh, household and a good weekend to be aware of the seas and all the threats that are out there. <laughs> yeah, be let careful. Me, let me talk to you about the process of storyboarding shots because this movie has some amazing, and I don't know if the right word is cinematography. Is that the correct phrasing for this form? Sure, yeah. Amazing, but it's not like you could just say, oh, we're going to go shoot at the Grand Canyon at dusk. It'll look great. Mm. You are conceptualizing the entire shot from sure. the angle of the sun, the the way the water's moving. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there are scenes where you in your head are like, that's one perfect shot right there. You know, when, when you know, I'm sure there are scenes that you, you know, put some spice in. Just mm -hmm. talk about the process of storyboarding shots, whether it be B-roll type stuff or whether it be the money shot. 
Yeah, I mean that that is the thing with animation is everything is a choice. Nothing just happens, right? So right. so every rope on the ship and and the the placement of the sun is all a choice, right? And uh and but but it is it is real cinematography in in the sense that in in live action it it's uh it, obviously it's it's in taking place in in a real space. But what 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 we do is we create virtual spaces and we place virtual cameras. But we think of them in, in terms of real physical cameras. So when we're when we're creating shots, we're thinking of we're thinking in terms of this, is is this a crane shot? Is this a handheld shot? And 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 trying to replicate the experience of a live action film in that language that the audience is accustomed to. Because if you let go of that, the the audience starts to feel that there's there's something that's not grounded and it and it feels false. So this, so just because we have the ability to do it doesn't mean that we should start placing the camera, moving the camera willy nilly. Um, and so, but we take that part of it very seriously. The storyboarding process is is huge for animation, and it takes place over the course of of years. Uh, it took about three and a half years to make the movie, and and for we were probably storyboarding for about two and a half years, uh, and and iterating over and over again uh, the the movie and then scenes within, and and so we will have. Um, we will storyboard the entire movie, and then we will look at it, and we'll say, hey, what could be better? What do we love? What do we not love? How are we going to change it? And then it will evolve. It will evolve quite a bit over the course of the of, of the years of its production. Uh, and then that then once we have the, the board sorted out, that will feed into um, what what we call uh, previs or layout and animation. We're replacing our virtual cameras. Um, I just thought about how you said a storyboarding could take years and years. I'm sure you've seen Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I just read a book on how it was made. It was written by the New York Times' Kyle Buchanan. And of course, it famously took 20-some-odd years. But what George Miller did was he didn't really have a script. He just had ton of previs. He had mm. every single shot in the film mm. previs. Yeah. Like, you'd walk into his office, and there'd be thousands and thousands of papers just lining the walls of the entire film, and that's how they made it. And but, but his action scenes are the best. Uh, because he takes them so seriously, you know, and and uh, and and it, I I love to talk about George Miller. I I I feel like I'm a child of George Miller. When I was uh, I probably watched The Road Warrior more than any other movie ever. Yeah. And and I just watched that movie on repeat <laughs> uh, with my. Uh, that, this was back in the days of uh, VHS cassettes, you know, um, and and all of those practical stunts and all those action scenes and the the choreography was so incredible. And it's it's never been done better because it is so visceral and so intense and and overwhelming. At the same time, you always understand the story and 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 the space. And there's not many people that can pull that off. And but, reading the book, you realize that like to the layman, the lack of story, like the lack of the lack of story, would come across as like, oh well, of course you like the characters because they have no story. But it's like the little subconscious storytelling choices thematic choices that george makes is like it's a house of cards almost yeah like one little thing is out of place the whole thing would collapse amazing stuff yeah and and the the that it you know you're you're talking about sort of thematic ideas and 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 i was saying that sometimes simple reaffirming simple ideas is is very is valid and if you look at the at the mad max films 
every every one of them thematically is is pretty similar as far as the the arc of the character where he's rediscovering his humanity every time right and there's something so powerful about it each of them each of them does it well um starting with this character who's really closed off and a shell of his former self and 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 only just looking to survive you know and then at the end he becomes the selfless character that will that is at least for a moment a part of a community and it's so power it's so simple but it's so powerful and he does construct it so well he gives hints like the the music box scene the, that that shot yep. where he he's playing the music box and offers it to the feral kid that's yeah. a little indication of, of what's to come and i i've watched the as i said watched the river many times and it's one of those great movies where every scene propels you necessarily to the next scene there's yep. nothing extraneous it's all for momentum and it's incredible and 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 then i also appreciate and, and one of my favorite movies is is babe and he didn't direct it but he had a he had a hand Poor in career. it career i know right i know it's and i love that those sweet simple characters um like babe or paddington and paddington 2 is one of my favorite movies those really sweet naive characters where their kindness is their is their superpower and and you can probably see some of these things that i love manifest in the sea beast right and that's where i say like i'm a product of my influences and i and i wear them proudly <laughs> on my sleeve you know well that uh if uh, you find yourself to have the time books called blood sweat and chrome i tore through it it was a blast uh one more uh and i usually like to end my interviews with big ones and i'd say that the biggest takeaway that i got from your film was that it's about the dangers of myth making and mm-hmm. storytelling which is an inherently human thing storytelling but it's dangerous and that could be applied to what schools are putting in textbook or um you know stories about bigfoot sightings it could be sure. applied to many different sort of human walks of life but was there a meta element to this you are the modern day myth maker you are the modern day <laughs> storyteller this is your domain so what were you trying to because of course we don't necessarily have legends like this anymore we don't have roman and greek god stories like this but we do have our batmans and our supermans and all that so what message beyond the one that i just outlaid were you trying to get across to the adults in uh, the room yeah the, the one of the things that we talked about early on is that that i don't mind and i kind of like when they're when movies take on multiple themes it's usually good if the themes sort of intersect and and talk to each other um but it's also good to know what primarily you're trying to say and the the thing that I was that I would talk to the crew about is the idea that this movie is talking about the cycle of violence that we can get into sometimes, and it perpetuates itself, and and some of the things that 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 cause that cycle, how we get into that into that uh, 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 cycle of aggression, and then how we might get out of it. And we one of the things we talk about is the fact that there can be sometimes this can be fueled by um, competing narratives, competing truths, right? And and the fact that sometimes people can can create a history, um, and 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 use that almost as a weapon, you know. And it can be and and people can can use alternative versions of the truth to pit us against our ourselves and each other. Alternative you know? versions of the truth. There was a popular phrase for that from the last few years that's escaping <laughs> me right now. <laughs> well, Forget certainly. <laughs> I mean, that was the thing as we were developing. Like the story evolves, the thematic ideas evolve, and of course, you're living in the world, and the world is is ever changing. And and as we're working on the movie, of course, you want your movie to be relevant, right? Uh, but it almost became, I didn't need to be this relevant, you know what I mean? <laughs> like some of these issues really felt like they were, uh, you know, ripped from the headlines. And and so 
Um, if if there if this is a way to help people sort of think about things or process things or even make some sort of difference in the world, um, at, you know, humbly, <laughs> as an artist, you always hope for that. I just hate to imagine actual adults out there having your film be the first time that it occurs to them. Wait, everything I read in the books aren't real. <laughs> or, or that there's not an empirical that, that it's subjective, and there can be competing versions of truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 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 it's and nothing is as nothing is is really as simple as we want it to be. Right. Well, Chris, thank you for your time today, sir. I appreciate. it. I really enjoyed our chat. I really enjoyed your film. I hope you, you enjoy a hard-earned vacation. I'm sure you've been quite busy these last few years. Let me just say at the top, I said it myself and I asked you, I think that the animation form has achieved an immense more amount of respect than it did 10, 20 years ago. And a large portion of that is because of the work that you've put forth in it. So I thank you for that as well, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I agree. Animation has come a long way. I think the the audience has has grown with the art form and the and the the yep. the creators as well it's it's a really good time to be in to be in animation awesome i can't wait to see well, well actually let me not let you go let me try to get a headline grabber real quick you got anything else see i'm just such a nerd that i just like to chat and i forget that i should probably try to do my job do you know <laughs> what you got going on next or i love i love it by the way i i love the way you i love your interviewing style it's really great oh, um thanks. the uh um I am. I'm kicking around some ideas at Netflix Animation. Um, very, it's everything very broad at this point, so nothing really worth talking about. But I am going to make another uh, animated film at Netflix, and and I've had my, I've had a bit of a rest now, and I'm ready to get going, and I'm excited. Cool, man. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, thank you. All right, and thanks to Chris for joining me. In addition to the films he's directed, he has also worked, whether it be storyboarding or whatever. Check out this list. Mulan, The Emperor's New Groove, Lilo and Stitch, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, Bolt, Tangled, Winnie the Pooh, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Big Hero 6, Zootopia, Moana, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Frozen 2, Raya and the Last Dragon, and The Sea Beast. So this guy is an animation titan. Yeah. Yeah. That is... uh... That is like five, maybe 10 of my favorite animated movies yeah. on that list. So. All right, y'all. So next week I am on vacation. As I said, if I can carve out a time to chat with Kate about some San Diego Comic-Con stuff, we will do that. Otherwise, we will talk to you. Later.